The Natural Hat Trick, hosted by Luke Lipinski and Craig Morgan. Welcome into episode 274-ish of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. I feel like we've been in the 270s for a while. Yeah, about two years. Okay, yeah, maybe years. And Steve Peters. Yeah, here for number two, so I got a long way to go. What's going on, Petey? You know, just getting through the days right now. I'm, I'm happy baseball season starting, Luke. Give me something else to watch, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, I'm Luke Lipinski. we got a lot to talk about. I've got this apple here in honor of Eric Carlson, so I'll just chew it throughout the show and answer your questions disdainfully. Does that work? Like uh, like Eric Carlson did the other night after his big game. Um, I, all right, guys, you know what? Let's. Last week we started big picture NHL. Let's start in the actual uh, with the Coyotes and uh, the beginning of a very pivotal season-defining, whatever you want to call it, road trip. Still just a point out of a playoff spot. It feels a lot worse, though, when you give up nine goals and have your best forwards helmet thrown at his face. So, uh, Craig, let's start with you. What was your reaction to that Colorado game? As I wrote, I have learned not to judge the Coyotes through the lens of the Colorado Avalanche because the it's an ugly picture. It will always be an ugly picture. And that was a particularly ugly picture. The game was over in five minutes. And I thought for a second, actually, there was a, one minute where I thought they were back in the game. And then, of course, they gave up a, a quick goal at the end of the second period. But that was just ugliness. I, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, I I hate the expression, we need to flush it, because you hear that way too often. But in this particular case, they have to flush that game because it's these next four games that are so huge for them in the standings playing in Southern California against the Ducks and the Kings. Yeah, and, and, that, and that's the good news for them. You know, you lose 9-3. to three. It's embarrassing. You're frustrated. But when the game's over, you lost one game. You didn't lose six. You didn't lose a seven-game series. You lost one game. You didn't lose any, any, any ground in the standings, points for the playoffs. It's one game. But I, I also look at it and go, one of the things you hear about games like that is, oh, our, our guys weren't ready to play or they weren't ready to start. It's a term I've never really grasped I, I don't understand not ready to play I don't get that like from a coaching perspective they've been talking about this game at, at least that whole day like there's been meetings and video meetings and one-on-ones and practices focusing on that game I don't understand not ready to play I get it in three and four and you're tired but but not ready to play is, is a term to me they just made mistakes early so is that not ready to play mentally I I, I don't know let me ask you about that I'm glad you brought it up because there's this there's this widespread belief in sports that it's the coach's job to have his team ready to play. And even Tockett said after the game, he said, that's on me. I guess we weren't ready to play. I thought we were ready to play. To be perfectly honest, Petey, I don't buy it. I think that's on, that's on the team, particularly senior leadership, to make sure that the team is ready to play. But I think it's incumbent on the players to have themselves prepared to play. Yeah, and I think what, what you said is a good point. And that's why I brought it up, too, because I listened to talk say that that's on me. And, and I know how Rick Tockett prepares for a game. Rick Tockett was prepared. Like, he's been thinking about that game for three days. They practiced thinking about it. They planned thinking about it. They had meetings thinking about it. So for Rick Tockett to say that team wasn't prepared, that's not true. They, they were prepared. Now, ready to play? I, I don't know. Is he bring pom poms into the locker room and go, "Hey, let's go"? I, I, you're playing the, the 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 best team in the league over the last twelve games. You're playing in a building that has fans for the first time in a year. I, I'm struggling to find out where that emotional lift has to come from. And I agree with you, Craig. It has to be from the players, and and players have a routine. 
when they get to the rink, what time they pour their first coffee, when they stretch, when do they change into their, their workout gear before the game, when do they walk down the hallway. All of those things are extremely structured. And when you say a guy's not ready to play, I don't know if that player is preparing enough before the game for that game. And again, I, I'll go back to the three and four or the ninth game of, of a 10-day road trip. Those are all anomalies. Those anomalies. Those are hard to prepare for. This one, to me, was it's Colorado Avalanche. You're, you're one point out of the playoffs. I expected a better start. But once you make the mistakes you made in the first five minutes and you're down five to one, I, I honestly, I've never seen a player get a hat trick in seven minutes for seven. I, I don't think I've seen that. So at that point, you just, now you're just hanging on. Let's not get hurt. Let's get through this game. Let's survive. You know, and to your point, they, they made us a, a brief comeback, but it, they played so poorly with so many individual mental mistakes that, that you just can't recover. I want to talk about two things on that comeback. First of all, I don't want to single Jordan Osterley out, but. Petey, as a, as a coach, as guys on the bench, I mean, you get back to 5-3, and that's not a, oh, you know, I, it was a great play by somebody else. That, was, that at least from the outside, looked like a, just a lazy, like, here, I'm going to try and cut some corners and throw a backhand pass across the center of the ice. Not something typical of Jordan Osterley. So, like I said, I'm not trying to single him out. But how does the team or the coaches, how do the coaches react after a play like that? Because they were back in that game. It was a two-goal game. They had some momentum, and the Coyotes have come back from multiple goal deficits a lot this season. I know they ended up losing by six, so it's hard to sit here and say one play cost them the game. But that certainly felt like it kind of put the game away for Colorado, and then they just piled on in the third. Yeah, you feel sorry for a guy like Jordan Oshley. He He's a guy that's well-liked in the room. He usually, usually does things the right way. You don't notice him much because the plays he makes are just small little plays. He just does them right. When you're playing the Colorado Avalanche, the quickest team in the National Hockey League, you need to keep the puck out of the middle of the ice. There, there's no reason to ever make a cross-ice pass between the blue lines uh, unless you are 100% sure. That puck always goes up the wall. I mean, it, I know I can hear the coaches talking, chip, 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 and chip it in. They want to use the boards because you can create. There's less danger when the puck's along the wall than it was in the middle of the ice. It's just a really unusual play for him to make at that time. Um, but that's indicative of the whole night. It was, it was just individual mistakes that cost that game. Guys just, you know, altitude. I, I, I don't know. They just weren't there. And again, one game. So as, as Craig alluded to earlier, you flush it and use that term flush. And I know you see it in the media. Rick Tockett did not flush that game. <laughs> he might have in the locker room. He might not have, he might have walked in post game and say, okay, that one's over. Let's go to California. But as soon as he got to the coach's room, he did anything but flush that. He he would have gone over that game. He would have been on the plane watching the game again. He would be looking at every detail of the game on how they can improve. Rick Tockett does not flush games. When he says that, he means there's nothing we can learn from that from the player's side. I can't coach those kind of mistakes. So for him, he'll wear that until they get on the ice um, against Anaheim. Yeah. What do you guys think? Or go ahead, Craig. Uh, well, I was just think, go ahead, Luke. You, yeah, you go ahead and finish your thought because I'm I, moving. This is just yeah. The second part of that game is like you guys keep saying it's just one game, and you're just a point out of a playoff spot. And the Coyotes play Colorado one more time. St. Louis plays them six more times. And the last time St. Louis played them, they lost eight nothing to Colorado. Like. The schedule, as we detailed last week, certainly favors the Coyotes going forward. Where 
I would be concerned of it bleeding into another game is right now your goalies are Aiden Hill and Ivan Prosvetov, who are both very young. Prosvetov in particular, they didn't have much of a choice, but how much hesitation do you think there is from Tockett and the coaching staff to throw him into a situation like that? Because that's about the worst situation to play your first game. A lot, I would think. Yeah, there's there's no way you want him making his debut in a situation like that. But what do you what do you do? I mean, Aiden Hill clearly had to be pulled. Even if you blame, you know, don't blame Aiden Hill. You have to make that decision at that point. The, my question is, moving forward, it, what if you have to play him again? Do you do you really even want to play Ivan Prozvatov at this play, point? I don't think they think he's ready to play. So I think what they're hoping is, you know, you can manage this. You got a you got a back to back coming up, so you have to consider it in this weekend series. But I think they're hoping they can minimize it as much as possible. Darcy Kemper's already on the trip. He's already skating. So maybe they can get him back at some point in this trip and you don't have to do that to Ivan Prozotov because that can that can ruin a goalie's confidence. Yeah, I think I think the difficulty with that, Craig, you have to manage the goalies. And and when you look through what's happened to this team up until this point, some of the, the trouble they're in with their goalies is they weren't able to manage them due to injuries, which caused other injuries. Kemper playing 17 of the first 18 was not the plan. He was forced to because of the injury to Ranta, and they were concerned about playing Hill. Well, that caused wear and tear and wore down Kemper. Now he's out. So you've got two back-to-backs in four cities in nine days. Ivan's going to play like, I know we can sit there and go, well, Hill can manage that time, but, but what happens if he gets hurt? Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to see Ivan on this trip. And I, and I don't know, you, you play Anaheim tomorrow. They're not strong offensively. They don't get a lot of shots on net. Uh, I think you might see Hill play these two back to back, especially because they play LA uh, on the, the second half of that back to back. And that to me is the most important game of this trip so far, clearly. They need to win that game. So I would see Hill doing that back-to-back. The second back-to-back, you're, you're talking about that's day 10, 11, 12 of the trip. You're playing Vegas and Colorado. <sighs> They're not going to throw Kemper into those games. He hasn't had a full practice yet, so he won't play. Ivan's going to get one of the big boys and just hold on. I mean, that's that's unfortunate for the kid. You'd like to develop him differently, but you also have to look at the bigger picture. you got to keep Aiden Hell. Aiden Hill healthy. So Ivan, I, I, I would suspect Ivan's going to play next weekend in either Vegas or Colorado. Playing Vegas and Colorado back to back right now just sounds miserable. And that's not just from the Coyotes perspective, but like, unless you're Tampa Bay playing those two teams back to back sounds miserable. All right. I don't do the whole show on just this one game, but I, I do before we move on to the rest of the road trip, uh, that helmet toss from Nathan McKinnon. I mean, uh, Craig, I saw what you wrote classless. So there's not really a better way to describe it. The thing is, Nathan McKinnon is typically classy. So it was, it was, unless my perception. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's not going to win the Lady Bing after that toss. No, I don't know. What, what did you guys think of that one? It's, I mean, I wrote exactly what I thought. I did, look, it was, I know there was a, an altercation that led to it, but you simply can't have that in the game. That's uncalled for. And even if he was trying to aim lower, sorry, you don't throw someone's helmet at them. That is, that is simply an, a classless and dangerous play. And I hate the fact that the NHL maximum fine is $5,000 because, I mean, it's a joke. Nathan yeah. McKinnon can reach into his pocket and pay that. That's a joke. That needs to, there needs to be a stiffer fine for something like that because that's a play that you can't see in the game. Yeah, and I agree with all those things, Craig. I, I just, I wonder what I missed watching the game leading up to that point because you talk about McKinnon had 10 penalty minutes all of last year, 12 up to this point, And that was 14 minutes in one play, 
14 minutes of penalties for McKinnon. He does not play like this. And you watch that particular play. Garland pushes him. There's a little hit there, but he doesn't, you know, there's nothing dirty. There's nothing at the head. There's no stick in the back. I, I don't know why Nathan McKinnon was so frustrated by that. And I think that uh, the other thing it does, it points to what Connor Garland brings to the ice. If you can frustrate one of the premier players in the game to the point where he snaps, you're doing something right. Like he, he can get under your skin. And if you can get into the playoffs, those are the kind of players that can disrupt the top opponents on, on the other team. So uh, Connor Garland, that's the kind of player we've talked about him being all year. And he created a monster in Nathan McKinnon. Now, the score was out of reach by then. McKinnon's probably thinking this should be an easy game. What are you doing, kid? But Connor Garland doesn't have an off switch. He's going to keep coming at you. So I'm really disappointed. I agree, Craig. You're better off at that point. If you're that upset, drop the gloves. No one's going to be upset if he drops the gloves and and they fight. I, I know there's people that don't like that. That is part of hockey. And, and unfortunately, the people that disagree with that, those are the instances where I think fighting is important. I don't like two tough guys lining up, dropping gloves, and fighting. You don't see that anymore. Sticking up for a teammate or yourself, I think those fights are necessary because the rules can't always protect you. You cannot ever throw a stick, throw a helmet, and that's too far. And I agree with you. The fine needed to be steeper than it was. Yeah, $5,000 is not going to deter anybody. Even though Nathan McKinnon's one of the most underpaid uh, players, superstars in this league, $5,000, he probably did have that. Uh, in his pockets on the ice. Um, okay, talking about Connor Garland, Craig, you wrote a great piece on him, just a very – he's so can, candid about everything, and he's so insightful and thoughtful. Like, you you don't typically hear a player, you know, a week and a half, two weeks ahead of the trade deadline be like, yeah, I'm noticing this stuff, and, and maybe it did actually impact my play. And it's just it's – a, it's a great piece on azcoyotesinsider.com. Um, you know, we've had Connor on this podcast before. We've all talked to him. Obviously, he's coached him. Uh, what do you, uh, you look ahead now a week and a half to the trade deadline actually happens. I mean, he said in that piece, he feels like he's gotten his game back. The two games against San Jose, you know, he was one of the few kind of bright spots against Colorado. Michael Bunting was really the only one, but, uh, Connor Garland going forward, Craig, just what were your impressions of, of how he's handling his success this season? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I, I mean, how he's handling the success, I just I, I don't even think he thinks about the success so much as what what he can do to get better. One of the things that always strikes me when we go into an off season, when players have their exit meetings and then the media gets to talk to all of them, I always ask players, what's your off season plan? What does it look like? What do you plan to do? And like 90 percent of the players will tell you, I just want to work on everything, get better in all areas of the game. Again, going back to the cliche book, they all say that. You're like, okay, so I don't really have a story to write on you right now because you haven't given me anything. (laughs) And Connor Garland will tell you, well, I want to work on this particular area of my skating, and I'm going to be with my figure skating coach, which he has, to to, to work on this specific. He'll come up with three specific things that he wants to get better on in the offseason. He'll tell you about him. He'll go into detail. That's that's just how he is with with, with everything. Um, And so you asked me how he's handling this whole situation. He was really candid about saying, yeah, it impacted him. He didn't, he didn't want to say he was distracted in the games because he always focuses on the games, but he called it not, not clear headed. You know, when you have other things swirling around, it can, can take you off your game a little bit. You're thinking too much. You're not, you're not moving your feet as much and, and you're not playing the game that you know you can play. He admitted it got to him for a while, 
And then he got to a, a point where he realized he had to stop worrying about that stuff. It was his job to just be able to, to put that stuff to the side and go out and play. And then the last few games, he felt like he had. Yeah, and I think when you, when you talk about Connor Garland and, and what he said about the trade deadline, Craig, the reality is he's just being honest and saying what every single player that has been through that experience is thinking. And the ones that say, it doesn't bother me, I don't read that, it, they're not being truthful. I, I've seen it in the room, and guys, when leading up to that time, it is incredibly stressful. Guys are walking on pins and needles around their teammates, and and. And I, I've heard it outside of the locker room. Well, they're paid millions of dollars. It's part of the game. Imagine though, there's, you go to work on a Monday in Phoenix, Arizona. And by the end of the day, when you leave for the day, you're packing to go to Buffalo or Columbus or Edmonton. It, it, it is such a drastic change. You're talking about not only do you have to meet new teammates, new coaching style, new city, You've got to find an apartment. How am I going to pack? What suits do I bring? What happens if you traded while you're on the road? And, and all of these things are real life problems that when we sit back and be armchair quarterbacks going, well, he makes a million bucks. So what? You know, and it's, it, what is so what? These are people's lives. It's incredibly stressful. So if they say they're not stressed or don't think about it or it doesn't affect them, I really don't believe that they're being truthful. Um, there are guys that will get traded to, to go to better cities, meaning teams that have a chance to win the cup. They're excited, but that doesn't happen that second. It's, why don't you like me? What did I do wrong? I mean, honestly, it's, his honestly is, honesty was so refreshing to hear. Um, it was a great article, Craig, you know, pat you on the back there a little bit, but um, well, we don't do that on the wish show. There was no. more of that. I, yeah, no, we, we definitely don't need to do that. <laughs> never pat Craig <laughs> on the back. Add to what you were just saying too, Pete, is, and you're right. It, it drives me crazy when I, when, when suddenly the, the amount of money that someone has paid suddenly is, is able to dismiss all the other issues in their life. It's, it's absurd, first of all. And he doesn't even make that much. Uh, yeah, no, well, I mean, relative to most people, he still does. But <laughs> a little bit of empathy. Try and step into someone's shoes and imagine what they're going through. The other side of all of this is the family concerns. Whether you're leaving your family behind or whether you're uprooting a family, that's incredibly stressful on a lot of people. And you're getting that at home. Let's take the case of Derek Stepan, by the way, who <laughs> didn't go with the deadline, but he had to go across the border in quarantine, leave his wife. They had just had a baby. That was his situation. And you think, well, he's making a lot of money, so what's the big deal? That's a huge deal. It would be stressful for anyone's life. And to be honest, any, anyone who's listening here or any of our readers, I would, I would tell you to think about that a little more deeply because the idea that someone makes a lot of money so they don't have any stresses in their life is just absurd. Yeah, and even even I look at myself, you know, and, I, and I'm no longer with the, the Coyotes, but if I want to work in the league again, I may or may not, but I have a choice. You know, if, if Team X opens up and they offer, you know what, I'm not sure about the weather or the travel or, or whatever this is, I can decide. These guys, they don't get to decide. This is where you are now going to live and work for seven, eight months of the year. It's 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 a bigger deal than people. To, I just want, like you said, walk in their shoes for one minute and then you can go back to giving them a hard time. Craig, I want to go back to what you said, too, about Connor Garland having such specific goals for the offseason. And I, I'm sure other players have these. The only other player I've ever spoken to that laid out like seven specific goals for the offseason was Aaron Ekblad. And, and the whole time I've been covering uh, hockey like this, uh, at, at least that, that said so, so specifically. Um, 
Petey, when did you guys know with the Coyotes, like, oh, this Connor Garland, he's going to stick. Like, he's, he's, there's something different about him because he has talked a lot about how, you know, for the first few years, he's just trying to carve out a permanent role in the NHL. And he even said it in Craig's story. Now this is different. He goes from, I'm just trying to stick in the NHL to all of a sudden I might be going to Boston. Yeah. You think the first time we saw him at his first camp, he turns heads. I mean, he still was the same player then as far as his work ethic, his ability to get to net, the net. But we called it at the time, it was junior habits. You know, he'd carry the puck too long or he'd try to beat guys he shouldn't try to beat or, you know, dipsy doodles or swiveling with his feet, just a little too fancy that things that he needed to get out of his game. And I don't know if that's, you know, you score a couple hundred points in the Quebec League, you play a different style than you need to play to be successful here. He needed the American League to grow as a person and a player. He matured. He learned to do things the right way. It wasn't always about, hey, look how flashy I can be. It's what do I need to do to help the team be successful? Once he turned that around, um, he was incredibly noticeable. And when you you saw how hard he worked in practice, veterans would go, oh, my, like we better st- pick it up a little bit because everybody on every team if that's the other thing we people don't realize they're fighting for a job they're fighting for a job not just the trade deadline but the guy coming up from the minors or the guy coming in off the taxi squad i better perform so i think connor helps make players around him better because he works so darn hard they've got about six games left before the uh, the trade deadline so to your point you know anybody on the coyotes that does get traded this year will get traded when they're on the road um, Craig, you put in the notes, I think it's an interesting conversation. They probably won't be in definitively or out definitively of the playoffs. They're probably going to be right around where they are now, point, maybe two points up or down from St. Louis when the trade deadline hits. So how do you handle this if you're Bill Armstrong now? Because you know he wants to put his fingerprints all over this team and he wants to get draft picks and prospects, but at the same time, you don't want to throw away a potential playoff run. And again, they were in the playoffs last year and they were very close to the playoffs the year before. There's this perception of this team of, well, they don't have draft picks, so they're a mess. You need the picks, but you may very well be a playoff team for the second straight year. There's a lot of things to consider here, and I don't blame Bill Armstrong for going up until the last possible minute if he can do it with this. I mean, if they fall off the pace, they don't play well in Southern California, you may have a a much better argument for selling off whatever pieces you can, but... I, I don't, I, if people are expecting wholesale changes at the trade deadline, I think they're probably going to be disappointed because I don't think it's going to be easy to make trades this year. We've talked a lot about the reasons for that. <clears throat> the, the Canadian border quarantine has dropped to seven days, but it's still a factor. We still have the flat cap for the foreseeable future. So with a lot of teams up against the cap, it's dollar in, dollar out. That makes trades more difficult. You have the expansion draft coming up as well, so you have to think about your protected list. There's a lot of stuff going into this right now. And then with with Bill Armstrong in particular, some of his most tradable assets are hurt. Antti Ranta may not play another game for the Coyotes. They still don't have a timeline on his return. I'm I'm certain they would have tried to trade him. Does that mean they can't trade Darcy Kemper now, too, if, if they were going to go the nuclear option? Will they be able to trade Tyler Pitlick, who would probably bring something back at the day, deadline, but now is hurt and is week to week? All of those things are making it really tough on Bill Armstrong right now. Yeah, and I think you're going to see, regardless of where they're at uh, on the the, the 12th, I I think there will be moves made by the Coyotes. They'll be small. Um, I don't know if they'll affect the core of the team. Um, 
like you, Craig, you talked about the nuclear option. The goaltender is something that they've looked at for a long time. You've got Antti Ranta's contract expiring. Um, I know that they would have liked to have seen what he was could, could, could get in return on, on the, the trade market. And same with Darcy Kemper. Um, but with their injuries, that that's just not going to happen. Even if they come back and play right now, I'd be extremely surprised if they were able to move one of those pieces. The most interesting one, to me is Connor Garland, but beyond that, you look at the free agent defenseman and so many, you know, do not trade clauses and, and age of player and so forth. I think the only one of, of the free agent defenseman that is movable right now or probably going to get moved is Alex Goligoski. Yeah. He's, he's, he can defend. He can still play offensively. He's a leader. He's been on, um, good playoff teams. He's experienced, good locker room guy. That's a piece no matter where they are on the 12th would not surprise me if Alex um, moves on. Yeah. What Last about, point. What about right. Jordan Osterley? Because I, I've, you know, I've had some teams or some writers call me about him. Uh, I, I think there may be some teams sniffing around Jordan Osterley, but what do you think your, your sense is with the Coyotes of what you do with him going forward? Well, it, last year, we'll go back to the bubble when we were, when we grade defensemen post game through that entire bubble experience, he was our best defenseman. Uh, you know, breaking pucks out of the zone, defending on the penalty kill. He was on the second power play. He played in all situations, played them well, not ex- exceeding or excelling. He played them well. He did everything well. So he was our top defenseman. And we were like, this kid is great. We got a great dollar value. He's doing everything right. As you said, his plays dropped off a little bit. I, I'm not in the room, so I don't know what, you know, if he's unhappy about his ice time, if he's got something going on away from the ice, or I, I really don't know. Um, I know what kind of a player he is. I think he's a guy with his, what he's going to make in his contract. I think he's a really valuable piece, but I also think that uh, Bill Armstrong recognizes his value and what they can get for that value. And I, I would be surprised if he is not a Coyote next year. I think they resign him. Uh, real quick, and we'll obviously get back into Coyotes when we get into listener questions, but I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on Michael Bunting. Uh, I mean, he was really the only bright spot. It's just one game against Colorado, but if he can bring any sort of presence like that, you know, that that's going to help them in a big way here down the stretch. What, what do you think they're expecting from him? Or is this, or, I mean, can you treat, the final 20 games as a tryout for somebody like that when you are also trying to make the playoffs? Maybe. I, I mean, I, I'm not sure that's how they're thinking of it. I, I, at this point, I think it was Rick Tockett trying to find guys who can give him consistent NHL play. They had guys at the bottom of this roster who probably should not be NHL regulars. Let's be honest about that. So when you're getting – when you've got a bunch of guys who are struggling and you've got a guy lighting it up the way he was in Tucson, he warranted a look. He deserved it. He deserved a shot. And look – I. A lot of people will say, well, why didn't Michael Bunting get, in, get this shot earlier? Going back to Connor Garland, there were elements of his game that needed work. And Rick Tockett talked about how he was he was a bit sloppy in his game earlier, but he did. He finally committed to that. Sounds like he just committed more to being a better pro, taking care of his body, doing all those other things. Um, one game, clearly you can't judge a guy off one game. You have to show consistency. That's a big part of the NHL. But maybe he could be, you know, sort of Connor Garland light, another story like that at least, where – with time, you, you brought a guy along in development, and he can be a serviceful NHL player. And I think that was one of the issues with him down in Tucson, Craig, was his consistency. I think you would see glimpses of that offensive player um, that the Coyotes really wanted and needed, but it wouldn't last. The other issue with Michael Bunting down there is he – we talk about Connor Garland getting under people's skin. Michael Bunting 
it's 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 to a whole new level like he's glove in the face after whistles like he he's not well liked when he touches the ice in the american league there are teams out to get michael bunting and he really agitates the opponents he's chirping them he's vocal he's dirty at times that's part of the game he need you need to be on the edge and be competitive but what it did is it took his team out of games that they should have been in he ends up being in the penalty box we need him on the ice so you need to walk that fine line and i think he's matured enough to get some of that out of his game keep the hard work and and grittiness to his game and ability to get to the net but take out some of the after the whistle stuff that what he didn't realize it hurt himself and it hurt his team so he's he's been able to remove that he's a hard-working kid that can make things happen fans are going to like watching him it's can he sustain it I, I, I'm not sure. And talk about a tryout. Like you said, there's times where Rick Tockett's out there saying, hey, let's put the ping pong balls in the lottery machine and find out what we get tonight. I, I It may come to that down the stretch. All right, let's uh, switch over big picture around the NHL. I'll also, uh, Craig, I, I will give you that you did put this first in the notes to uh, rate and review the show, and I just skipped right over it. So now, rate and review the show. Uh, that's uh, You'll make Craig happy, and you'll make uh, Craig's kids proud of him. Wasn't that the original reason that we started doing rating and reviewing the well, show? I think it was to feed my children, actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. So it's kind of high stakes if you rate and review the show. Um, the a Canadian lot of ramen around here. A lot of ramen. Well, is it at least top ramen? Uh, no. It got me through school. Got me through school. Nothing wrong with a little ramen and melted uh, cheese whiz. But, oh, oh, no, buddy. Yeah, homemade, homemade mac and cheese. Nice, by the way, that's ramen and cheese whiz. Melted cheese whiz. Buddy, and drain it. Melted cheese whiz ramen noodles. Homemade mac and cheese for oh, under nice. 50 cents. Anytime we make dinner plans with PD, it's going to be at a restaurant. Got me through, <laughs> got me through college, Greg. Don't <laughs> knock it. Uh, all right, let's let's start in that Canadian division where it is. We're finally now, unfortunately, seeing the effects of COVID on that division. Montreal missing games, Vancouver missing games, and uh, the Travis Hamonic stuff. You know, he was one of the few players that opted out of the bubble uh, back in July, and it clearly wasn't because he didn't want to play hockey. But now he's on a Vancouver team that's dealing with this. And there's a lot of different ways to look at this story. I mean. The first thing that I think jumped out to all of us, though, is have some compassion if you're a fan base. And I know it's the Vancouver fan base and Vancouver fans, based on my experience as a child, they are insane up there. They're acting insane again now. Not all of them, but a, a portion of them. That's a kind word for it, actually. I just yeah. think they're being jerks. I'll just come out and say it. And that fan base has a, a reputation for that. But, yeah, his, his daughter has a respiratory illness. This is why he wanted to stay out of the bubble, you know, uh, stay out of the bubble in the first place because he's concerned about his family. And now he has it. So it's just sort of a reminder that, again, what we were talking about earlier, there are all these personal sides that players deal with that we we just dismiss because they're well paid. Well, they're still there. And when you're talking about the health of your child, I can't imagine anything scarier than that. Yeah, I I, I, I look at this and you, you first of all, surprised it's been able to stay out of the Canadian division this long. It affected the, the teams in the States right from training camp. Teams were affected right up till now. I mean, it, you see it continually being a, an issue in Canada. Just getting it now, they, they had, you know, there's fewer people. The way they approached it was different. It just, it was a different atmosphere in Canada. So that starts things. And now this, to, to have hockey become bigger than health of, of a family member is, is difficult for me. I, I, I think it's, 
you know, they, they want to watch hockey on Saturday night. Who doesn't? But but let's not take it out on one particular player. Um, you know, hopefully the club can help um, bridge the gap with the fans here and we can move past this because it's to say a guy got COVID and you start blaming him for, for shutting the team down just isn't a fair comment. So hopefully Vancouver moves past it. They're frustrated. They're not where they thought they'd be at the beginning of the season. They thought they were a playoff team. They were young and upcoming and quick. That's not the case. Travis Green's staff is on the last year of their contract. There's concern on whether they're going to get rehired. It's not the season they were hoping for, and they're taking it out uh, on a defenseless Travis Hamannick. If Jamie Eisner were here, he would be singing nonlinear progression right now. We all saw yeah. this coming. We all saw it coming. I didn't think they were as good as they thought they were. Uh, they had a lot of issues, and, and they overachieved last year in the postseason. I, I saw this coming. I didn't even predict them to make the playoffs this year, and Maybe now they'll uh, start taking a harder look at some of the genuine flaws on that roster. Yeah, unless some things change dramatically, I think the four playoff teams in the North are set. Where they finish, yeah. TBD, but um, I think you've got your four teams. I think. I don't think the Daryl move in Calgary shocked the system as much as they were hoping for. Um, so I, I don't think they get in either. I think those four teams are set. That division has been a lot of fun. I mean, I know I've talked about this on the show before I, I i i don't want them to keep it because i don't like the idea of just automatically putting one of them in the final four although also limiting it to just one of the final four but that goes for me more of i i don't like having four teams from each division make the playoffs and then play each other i just like one through eight in the conference either way though it has been entertaining is it safe to have all the canadians play each other all year every year because their fans if you think they're bad when they turn on their own team I mean, you've got Vancouver fans blaming Montreal that their players are sick. You've got Toronto fans just jumping in and trolling all of them. You've got Oilers fans jumping in and saying none of you matter because we have McDavid. Like, the fan bases in Canada are so mean to each other. It's unbelievable. But it's really created an interest in the game this year. Uh, up north of the border, television viewing is up. Ratings are up. People are interested. Um, you know, and more more water cooler talk. It's been good for the sport in Canada. It will never last. You can't ask Vancouver to travel to Toronto and Montreal as part of their division. It's not fair. Um, I think it was a great one-off. I'm glad that they were able to get the season in under the wire. Um, but we nothing we will ever see like this again. I don't think. All right, let's start talking. If we went to eight divisions, we could have two, you know, two four-team Canadian divisions. Craig, why don't they listen to you on that, Craig? One more team in Canada. Where, where should we put them, Luke? Quebec. Mm. That's well, yeah, no, probably not. Why won't, Craig, why don't they listen to you on that? Did you talk to Bettman? Have you put in a call? In fact, I did long ago, and 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 I talked to Bill Daly, and, and his his uh, email to me was, "Why would we consider that?" Really, <laughs> I think I, I don't know. I thought it was brilliant. I think the rivalries would be automatic. I think you still play every team in the league, home and away. But that division that was brilliant, Craig. Again, I patted you on the back twice. I got to knock this off. Yeah, that's terrible. That's two strikes. I know. Gross, actually. I know. Sorry. Maybe that's just Bill Daly's signature on his emails of Bill Daly. Why would we consider that? <laughs> yeah. They did listen to you on the on the draft uh, lottery, though. The modifications there were the Finally. same team. Yeah, it took a while. All right. <laughs> let's start talking about the good teams. The Buffalo Sabres have three points out of their last four possible. One of the hottest teams in hockey. Um, they snapped their 18-game losing streak. <laughs> I mean, and then, they, right, in the midst of all that, they trade Eric Stahl to Montreal, which you put in the notes. I almost forgot it happened. I don't know. That that was it's trade. It's a big name. I mean the guy scored fifty goals in the season a long time ago, but I just I don't know how much of an impact that's gonna make on anything. 
What do you think, Pete? Does he have anything left? Can he? I mean, Montreal's already in the playoffs in my mind, but can he be enough to help them engineer a, a first-round upset of the Maple Leafs? You look at what they have up the middle of the ice in Montreal, and we talk often about how crucial and important the center ice position is. The Montreal Canadiens centers, Nick Suzuki's 21, Kota Konami is 20, Evans is 24. They're extremely young. They have a 28-year-old, you know, Philip Daniel is their first-line center at 28. It's a young, young group. And if you can bring in a guy that's experienced, he's been there, um, he knows how to prepare for games, he's an NHL player, um, I think it's a good move for them. They gave up a third and a fifth. Craig, we talked about the draft before. A third and a fifth round pick. Honestly, there's two kids that are going to go to the development camp in Buffalo for the next three years and then never talk about them again. And I, and I don't want to be that blunt, but that's just statistically the reality of it. We'll never see those kids. So Buffalo. Yeah, so for, I think for Montreal, it's a good move. I, I don't think that, uh, I think even if he's just fourth line sporadic player, I think he helps them. So will he be a star in the playoffs? Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't count on that. Could he come up with a big assist that helps them win a game? Yeah, I think he can. So I think it's a good move uh, on Montreal's part to get an experienced centerman. Uh, I think it's only going to help the room. They've got Corey Perry there now, uh, Shea Weber, so they do have some experience. I I think it's it's a good move at the right time for Montreal. Yeah, I mean, even Taylor Hall went to Buffalo, and we never heard from him again. And he's he's well past development camp, so <laughs> yeah, that's that's just their issues up there. Yeah, that, that is that is a good point. On I, I guess I was looking at it more just from like Buffalo making moves doesn't make a lot of sense, but. If Stahl comes up with even one or two big games in the playoffs, you know, best of seven, that could change everything. And they don't, they really don't have the experience there other than, you know, Corey Perry and Shea Weber, like you just said. Uh, let's look at some of these, these divisions now. Last week, we really focused on the top, like the true legitimate cup contenders. And obviously something could change, but we were looking at Vegas, Colorado, uh, Tampa and Toronto, but we're kind of getting to the point where the top three teams are starting to separate themselves in a lot of these divisions. So let's go through some of the races just to make the playoffs. And I want to start in the East because I'm a little surprised to see Boston down here. They're still in fourth. They're still in a decent spot, but they're nine points behind Pittsburgh, the Islanders and the Capitals. So it's really kind of a three team race between Boston, Philadelphia, who just put uh, Shane Gossespierre on waivers, although he did clear and the Rangers who beat Philadelphia by like seven every time they play. How do you guys see this one shaping up? Well, I would point out first that Boston has a few games in hand on those other teams. So if they get hot, they can they can separate themselves a little bit from that pack, and that that may be all it takes. With the and they should, right? They should, right? But something doesn't feel quite right with Boston. And we, you know, look, I've talked about this for three years. Eventually, I'm going to be right that the Bruins are going to start declining. I've been waiting for it because some of their some of their key players are older, right? And and they obviously lost some things finally in this off season. Tory Krug is gone. Uh, Dano Chara, you know, I didn't think he could play until he was 50. Um, we finally proven correct there. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I just sort of thought something was going to start declining with this team. They're still a really good team. Don't get me wrong. The, the top of that lineup is elite. Those players are incredible, but I, it doesn't feel like they have the depth, first of all, that, that they've had. And they're, they're just not separating the way they have in the past. Yeah, I don't think this is a team that's going to win the division. And we look at Boston Bruins of the past, maybe three, two, three years ago, and you said this team legitimately can run at the cup. I don't, I think you're right, Craig. I think they're on the decline there, but they still have an abundance of talent. They can score when they need to. Um, 
I think that's the team that makes the playoffs out of the East. The Rangers concern me. Um, I'm not sure what's going on. The, the, you, know, you hear some talk of the coach there. I, I don't think they'll make a move right now, but I'm not sure the Rangers are, are, are ready. They don't have the right mix. I don't think, um, I think Boston's in. And the one that surprised me is how, how Pittsburgh has really come on the last 15 games. You know, they struggled the first 20. They were below the double line of the playoff line. I didn't think. Pittsburgh was going to be a playoff team at that point. So they're rolling. I mean, their offense, when they're going, they're tough to stop. They're experienced. Um, they're well coached. They're playing good hockey right now. I'm glad you brought up Pittsburgh because a certain member of this podcast didn't think that they were a playoff team this year. I'm not going to name that person, but <laughs> obviously Jamie, right? I, I laughed because it must have been Jamie. Pittsburgh. Of course, they're going to be a playoff team and clearly they are now. Go ahead, yeah. It, it has it's been proven in the past that I cannot give responses on the Penguins without uh, letting emotion factor in. Although, as Petey just said a couple weeks ago, they didn't look like a playoff team. And then Malkin got hurt, and all of a sudden they are unstoppable. It's the weirdest thing. I mean, I have the last seven years of a body of work watching them lose to Boston seemingly every time they play them. And now they can't stop beating Boston. So. We'll see. I mean, my, my, my concern with the Penguins is that they haven't won a playoff series in I don't even know how long now. So we'll see how they do in the first round against the Capitals. I hope they, they, they're able to beat them or the Islanders. And you know but, what, Luke, um, what's, what's hard about this, Luke, is, is the, the strange season we are having is how little you see these other teams play. Yeah. And how little you know about them. And when I say you, I mean me because you, you knew everybody. You'd see everybody play. Everybody played. Everybody, you'd see how, you know, McDavid matched up against Crosby this year. You saw all those things. Now it's, it's almost like it's, you know, it's, it might as well be the KHL. You just don't know enough about these teams. I don't know what Boston's schedule is down the road. I could tell you the, you know, the Coyotes, the Kings and the Blues. I have no idea what Boston has ahead of them. So it's really difficult, um, to plan and think about the other parts of the league and, what I think is going to be extremely interesting, and it's not going to happen for months, is when you have to finally play a team outside of your division. You know, the, the last final four teams, when you're playing somebody outside of your division that you haven't prepared for or seen the entire season. It's going to be really interesting. It sure is. That's that's part of the intrigue of the, the, the final four, as we'll call them. Um, just two more things on this division. The Rangers not, if they don't make the playoffs, I don't think that's a bad thing for this organization. They've, they've taken steps this year. This, this team is making progress. There are a lot of good signs there. So again, if they miss, that's okay. I think just being in the playoff race is going to be good for this young group. The team I can't figure out what happened to Philadelphia. Why can't they play defensive? The goaltending so god awful. That was the question I was just about to ask. You just, you, you basically took the words out of my mouth. This is the Rangers to me are, are trending in the right direction. If they get in, that's cool. If not, then fine. They'll probably make it next year. Philadelphia, and I'm not going to pretend I don't love it, but what is the deal with this team? Especially like you said, the goaltending. Carter Hart was supposed to be the answer and he looked like it for a while. And now they just cannot. He lost a game to the Rangers earlier this season, nine nothing when the Rangers didn't have a coach, right? I didn't just dream that. Oh, and it's a team when you look at them again on paper, there's still a lot of really good pieces to that, that flyer club. Um, you're right. With the goaltender heart, you thought he was taking the next step and he would be able to put this team on his back. But, but you've seen it. You saw it with Matt Murray in, in Pittsburgh. These young goalies, you see him and win a Stanley Cup and then now he's expendable. 
people. I, I, I don't know. The lifespans are shorter. I don't know if, I don't know if it's physically the way they play and their hips can't hold up. I honestly don't know, but these young guys seem to come in and come out, especially in the East. But you've still got a team with Giroux and Couturier and Voracek. You've got some talented pieces. They just haven't lived up to what their potential is. You've got Kevin Hayes, Gostas Bear on waivers. He was a guy that two years ago was coveted by the entire league. I don't know what's happening there. I don't know if it's internal, if it's in the locker room, if it's an atmosphere issue. I really don't know. On paper, this team should be doing better. Yeah, the coaching staff should be able to figure this out, too. I mean, it's a veteran coaching staff. This is just bizarre to me. But Carter Hart is the the, the, the piece that just jumps out for me. It's a guy that was considered for the Calder Trophy just two seasons ago. Really looked like he had emerged as a, an up-and-coming up elite goaltender. And then, and I hate goaltending stats because most of them are garbage. Most of them are team stats. But one of, I think, the best analytics is goal saved above average. If you go on Evolving Hockey and look at goal saved above average, go all the way to the bottom of the list at number 77. There's Carter Hart at negative 26.02. It is, that's a brutal stat. Yeah. And, and we all know, and you could talk about all the other positions and the, you know, inability to have offense. If your goaltender is not helping you win games, you're not going to make the playoffs. It's just a reality. And confidence too, right? It saps confidence from a team in front of them. You, you, you find yourself changing the way you play when you're. Yeah. When you're You've seen it on the bench, the body language, the arms drop, shoulders drop when you give up a bad goal. I've seen it here in Arizona over the years. Like, and there's no way around it. Like, you just can't. Once you believe in a goalie, amazing things can happen. You know, and Mike Smith carried this team to an undefeated February in 2012. Um, did it to, almost on his own, just from his inspired play, because winning breeds winning. They had a horrible season, and Brian Boucher had the the shutout streak. One of the most fun experiences of my entire Coyote career, because you believed you were going to win. And when you have a goalie that's on a streak, you can win. When they are not on a streak and they are struggling, you cannot overcome that. It's, it's, it's just too much emotionally on the bench. It's here we go again. And I'm sure in, in Philadelphia, it's here we go again. And you, you just can't get yourself over that hump. What was the year where they used nine goalies or eight goalies? I think Philadelphia probably thought they were finally over this, but uh, <laughs> apparently not. All right. So let's, to Petey's point, it, it's, it's tougher to see all the teams this year because they're all contained within their four divisions. For me, I mean, I can't stop watching the Canadian division because they're so crazy. I'm obviously watching the East because of the Penguins, and clearly more than anything, I'm watching the uh, the Coyotes division and the Honda West. The division that has, has kind of escaped me a little bit this year is the Central, and I cannot help but look at this. Two things really stand out. One, okay, you expect Tampa to be great, and they are. How are Carolina and Florida right there with them? Like, to me, those look like playoff teams, but they're within a point or tied with Tampa, and I'm wondering, is that just simply a couple other teams had to rise to the top because the bottom of this division is so bad, or is there something else? I, I think that's part of it. I, I don't want to th- put all the eggs in that basket. I think Carolina is a very good team. Uh, I'm, I, Florida, I, I've waited for them to take a step. We've talked about this before. They have some elite players, but I'm not sure that they have the depth to be this good. I do think this is a really bad division at the bottom, and that's sort of what's playing into this. But you also have a, a weird situation where Dallas hasn't played up to its potential. They still have the chance because they have a bunch of games in hand. And if if I'm picking between Nashville, Chicago, Columbus, and Dallas, I'm still taking the Stars to be the fourth playoff team in this division. But we'll see how it plays out because all those teams are in play. 
Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I, I, I obviously at the beginning of the season, I had Dallas in. I mean, you, you looked at their their body work last year, and just uh, on paper, you said this team's a playoff team. So. I was really surprised. I, I don't know how badly COVID affected the room. And, you, you know, we, some people, oh, they're in their 20s. They overcome it. Some guys don't. Some guys are sick. Some guys can't get their wind back, their legs back. They can't get that that first two weeks of training camp missing. That's a big deal. So, again, not blaming that, but but potentially there's issues there. I don't know. Nashville's the team. Again, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about here. Nashville's a team I thought was dead and buried three weeks ago. I'm talking about blowing up coaching staffs and management. And now you can't, they're on a roll. I, 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 they've got experienced players. They've got experienced goaltenders. They've been in the playoffs before. They're kick at the can and their window is closing. Like it's got to be now. Um, I've got Nashville over Chicago and I don't think Dallas has enough time to catch up the ground. I just oh, wow. when I look at them with four games in hand on Nashville and only five points back. That's I mean that's five five hundred hockey to catch them. I agree, Craig. But they've been they've had those games in hand all season and they still never make up any ground. And I, we'll see. Well, let's wait. What are we at? Winning percentages five thirteen to five hundred. Yeah, I mean it's it's close. Well, we'll I see. Go back to your goal differential thing too. Uh, Dallas has a plus goal differential. Those yep. other teams are in the. In the red, big time. But I think that part of that with Nashville is they started off so poorly. And I think you're seeing that change now. Again, I guess you and I will talk about it again in five weeks. And that's why we, we do this. It is remarkable that Nashville, because I was, I'm with you, PD, a couple weeks ago. It was like, okay, you know, Nashville's had a good run the last few years. It was inevitable. It was going to start to, to come to an end here. And it felt like it was. And it's not like any one player has carried them, which is maybe why they're having success. And I'm sure some of it helps that they're in this division, but they are in a playoff spot right now. Craig, I want to give you the opportunity to talk about Stan Bowman and his new role oh. with Team USA, because I know you're such a big fan. That was it? I have to say about that. <laughs> you had the platform right wow. there, and you, you just turned I, it aside. I don't have my cowbell. Mm. I wish I had my giant captain's bell. I don't get it. I don't get, get it. Other than the family name, I don't get it. Um, we already sort of hit on the North Division. A- any chance? I mean, I guess it would have to be Calgary that jumps up and would have to catch Montreal. I, I-, I will say there's certainly a chance, but uh, I-, I think Calgary has more talent than Montreal, but Montreal's putting it together. Calgary just isn't. It sort of feels like a lost season for them. Yeah. Yeah, I think I don't think there's any changes there. Again, it's who wins the division, and will home ice make a difference in the playoffs? You know, if you're talking about uh, first round Montreal, Toronto, that 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 doesn't get any better than that in Canada, does it? Montreal, Toronto in the opening round is great. Love to see it. But what if what if Edmonton has to go to Toronto and travel across country for every game? That's just uncommon for the first round of the playoffs to have that difficult of a travel schedule. Mm. Uh, I think it's going to be a great four teams to watch in the playoffs. I think they all play a little bit differently and they have different elements of excitement. I'm really looking forward to the North playoffs. I still don't know who's going to win the division. I I said last week that Winnipeg's my sleeper. Nobody talks about Winnipeg. They're under the radar and they're knocking on the door. They're just a few points behind Toronto. I know Toronto has a game in hand, but we'll see if Toronto's goaltending can continue to hold up. Um, We'll see. I, I think it's going to be a great – that's going to be the most interesting playoff series, the ones up in, in Canada. Are you guys buying that San Jose is back in this race in the West? No. No. Okay. I just – some interesting things, and we've talked a lot about how brutal St. Louis's schedule is the rest of the way, and it is. They're, they're going to have a really tough time. 
Um, but the Coyotes have to play, obviously they have to play a lot more road games than they have to play home games. They're in the midst of a nine game road trip after this, obviously it balances out. So if they survive it, maybe they're still in it, but LA and San Jose both have a lot more home games remaining than, than road games. So I wonder who, who is the favorite of these four teams to get in? I would be, from the Coyotes' perspective, more concerned with L.A. I just think L.A. looks like a better team. San Jose, maybe we just haven't seen their best. In their four games against the Coyotes, when the Coyotes won three, they picked up a point in the, in the very first game of the season, too. I honestly, it, you don't often see the Coyotes almost toying with a team. It sort of felt like that these last two games against the Sharks. I just, I, I don't think that that, if San Jose makes the playoffs, that means St. Louis fell apart and the Coyotes fell apart and mm-hmm. L.A. fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. We, you know, you all prognosticate and you make your plans on paper. I thought San Jose would be one of the, the three teams fighting for that fourth spot coming into the season. I, you know, I predicted Dubnik to have a better year than he's having. I thought he would really help their goaltending tandem there. Um, I thought they'd have a rebounding year at the back end from what they did last season where they really struggled, you know, expected Carlson to have a better year and, and those things haven't happened. Um, I, I don't think this is the year for them right now. I still think it's going to come down to Arizona and L.A. I just think the schedule for St. Louis is just too difficult. And as much as we talked about Colorado at the beginning of, of the segment, St. Louis is going into Denver for back-to-back games tonight and tomorrow. That That is going to be very difficult the way the St. Louis Blues are playing and the way the Colorado Avalanche are playing for the Blues to come out of there with points. Um and on the flip side of that, Arizona has Anaheim and L.A. You could easily see a four-point swing this weekend. Um, so I think it's going to come down to L.A. and Arizona, and we said it last week, the 5th and the 7th of April are critical. But one thing, Craig, and we've talked about this, the mistakes that maybe we make is this is a critical road trip. This is a critical series. I found myself saying that five times, six times this season already. Oh, this is an imperative homestand, or this is an imperative road trip. Here we are, they're one point out. So until they're eliminated mathematically, it's one game at a time. And I know that's the way Rick Tockett's approaching this, one game at a time. I meant to say this earlier, throw this at you, PD, wonder what you thought about this, and maybe it's just making too much out of it. But in, if, if there's a positive to come out of Colorado, Man, if this team isn't focused after that kind of loss going into these games, I don't know what would focus them. It's almost like that. maybe that could serve as a wake-up call for them for how prepared they have to be for these next four games, or at least at least tonight's game. Yeah, I think, you know, you're right. You, you do – they got embarrassed. There's no other way to say it. They got embarrassed, and they need to have a better game. They, I promise they were reminded of that over the last 48 hours. They know what's going to be expected of them. Um Luckily for them, and I know Anaheim has got some young talent and they're coming and they're going in a certain direction, but it's not going to start tonight. Um, I don't know if, if you heard of Gibson's playing. He's not actually. Yeah. Um, so I, I think if Gibson's playing, all bets are off. He's a guy that can make 45 saves and steal a game. Um, I would look for the Coyotes to, to have a much better effort. And we talked about starts. I would think they're going to have a good start tonight. Yeah, that would be huge, and it's, it's certainly uh, it's it's a good time to play uh, the Ducks as many times as you can before John Gibson is in there. Let's um let's get to some of these these questions which are now not pulling up on my phone, so I have to. Get oh. back. All right, you guys ready for these? Still a lot of tonight, by the way. So oh yes, see, and and uh, again, I'm still I'm a newbie here, Luke. So like. Last week we got to the questions and here I was, I got on the internet. I've got NHL.com up. I'm ready to, 
to come up with some brilliant hockey analysis. And I okay. get, what do I put on my hot dogs? I was just, how do you prepare for that? How do yeah, you, honestly, how do you prepare for that? You're, you're going to have to get adjusted to our listeners. Um, here, here, the first one is a, is a, a clear hockey question. Ozzy writes in, so who's more disappointing, Sabres or the Flyers with the lower save percentage? I got to go with the Flyers. I mean, what, what did any of us expect anything from the Sabres? I didn't. I didn't. Well, no, I don't think so. I, I didn't expect, but this bad though, Craig? Like they still put together, like you look at the roster, you thought with Eichel and, 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 you know, you make the Taylor Hall move and Stahl and Skinner and, you know, Gergensons and their goaltending. You thought maybe, I thought maybe, I, I say Buffalo. You, I never thought they'd lose that many in a row. That's, that's hard to do that you can't run into a team that's not playing well and get a win. So I'll go Buffalo. Okay, Jeffrey Travis Twyman writes in, and he later acknowledges this is sort of a joke, but also he kind of wants to know the answer. He says, four firsts, Hayton and Keller for Eichel. Who says no? Me. And why is it Eichel? <laughs> <laughs> Craig, okay, go Craig ahead. says no. <laughs> four first-round picks, Barrett Hayton and Clayton Keller for Jack Eichel? No. So I will go a step farther. I wouldn't trade any of those pieces. One for one for Jack Eichel, but that's me. Wow. Uh, You're going to explain that one. I won't go too far. Well, hmm. He's in one now. No, he's a high-skilled player. He's a high-skilled player when things are going his way, when he's in the right spot, in the right position where he's happy. When anything goes against that, whether he's with the wrong line mate, the wrong line, the wrong ice time, he's not a happy player, and he will play accordingly. Mm. I don't know if those type of players, even with the high skill, can overcome that to help a team succeed unless you have an extremely tight team with high-end experienced talent. Could he go to Pittsburgh? Absolutely. Could he come to Arizona? I don't know if he helps. I think that's... they don't. I don't know if the leadership is there to overcome things when they're not going well for Jack Eichel. Interesting. Yeah, that's okay. That's fair. I, I, at least on paper, would be willing to give up some combination of that for Eichel, but I, I hear what you're saying, Petey, and there might be something to that. I mean, if you're making that trade, Eichel needs to come in and take you. Well, like, at what to the point Western do you Conference say Final. he's got to do something? Well, at what point? Yeah. I, 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 I might be there. You got to have know? some impact, and I mean, that team's a train wreck. Yeah. Yeah. I want, yeah. We, we, Craig, uh, we got to wait to the see. Like there are things. This is where, that touchy point. Now, there's things I know that I'm not quite ready to talk about. So we're gonna have to do this. Maybe we'll do this podcast sometime at midnight. And then I'll we've done see that. some other things. Have you really? <laughs> you know, oh yeah. Bar. We should do it from a bar. Yeah, from a bar. Maybe. We've done yeah. that too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's Ben. Uh, his first question is about Michael Bunting, which we already talked about. But uh, he says, "What's more important to the Yotes' success: better execution of clean breakout passes in the D zone, or the ability to keep sustained pressure in the offensive zone?" Wow, I'm gonna let PD answer that one. Well, I think it's it's what we've talked about all season. It's it's their inability to create offense. Um, I, I thought when they played the San Jose Sharks a week ago, they were creating offense because they were able to keep the puck alive in the offensive zone and keep it inside the blue line. When they can maintain the puck, get it low to high, get traffic at the net, they can create. Um, breaking out, honestly, you know what. <laughs> I, I don't know if this Coyote team struggles with that. I don't think they're as bad as people think they are. Like when things are in doubt, 
to get the puck out of the zone, just fire it around the boards. Yelmerson's had a career of that. Like it's, it's not, yes, we would like to get out of the zone cleaner and you'd like to have possession all the way through the zone. But if you get across the blue line and live for another day, you're okay sometimes. I think offensively is where this team has struggled. And so I would say the offensive side of the puck is much more important. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that one. Um, Chris writes in, the Toronto-based media seems to be getting excited over Galchenyuk's recent performances. Were we, the Wild, the Senators, too quick to move on, or is it a case of a guy playing above his level? Uh, I have my own thoughts. I mean, yeah, I, I think this is a flash in the pan. I, I think Alex Galchenyuk has, at this point, established who he is as a player. But maybe Petey has different insights. You know what? He, he's a kid that he's he's got a good personality. He's a nice kid. He really wants to be a good player. He really does. Like he, he wants to work at it. He wants to learn. He has a very good skill set. Alex struggles to play within structure and play within a system of play. And when you put him in teams that have high structure or demand structure through their coaching staff, he has a harder time fitting in. Anthony Duclair was just like that too. A high end guy with skill that just couldn't quite play within a structure of a team and in system play. Um, Toronto. That they're run and gun, throw the puck over the blue line, and let's skate to the puck. You know, maybe he's fit in better there because of the way they play. Um, I hope he has success there because I really like Alex Galchenyuk. I think he's a good kid and a good person. I hope he succeeds there. I agree with Craig, though. I don't know if it's going to be long term. Yeah, on that, on that note with Alex, too, I, I hated the uh, narrative that accompanied him when he came to Arizona. Because when you talk to this kid, yeah, he's all the things that you just described. He's, oh, yeah. He really works at it. He really cares. He's, he, he, he seems like a really good kid. He really does. It just that, that probably was the issue with him playing within structure all along. But as far as the attitude and everything, I, I never saw any of the stuff that was whispered when, when he was in Montreal. It almost seemed like he cared too much where like, you know, if things are going well, he's like, okay, I'm going to keep, but if things start to go sideways, it almost seemed like he internalized it too much, which would worry me playing in Toronto. I mean, at least in terms of if, if that's the way he's, he's made up mentally, that's a great teammate to have. And I hear what you're saying, Petey, he might just in terms of hockey, you know, systematic playing, he might be in a great position playing on the Maple Leafs, playing around a lot of skilled players. But I just, it's going to be tough if things go sideways there. And he's just a puzzle piece there. He's, he's just a piece. He's not the piece. He's a piece. Like, and I think that's better for him. You know, he doesn't have to be Matthews or Marner. He doesn't have to be that. He just has to play, play hard, create some offense. I think it's a much better spot for him. Um, I, I hope he has success. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question by Chris. I'm glad because I, I, I wanted to bring that up and I forgot. Um, Eldon writes in. Is the expansion draft, is it going to be the same for Seattle as it was for Vegas, or will the rules be modified in any way? I had somebody ask me this the other day, too. Is Seattle going to step in and be as good as Vegas was? I don't think Seattle's going to the Stanley Cup in their first year, but there's going to be some players available. Yeah, and and with everything that's happened the last you know 18 months or whatever, there's going to be players available that probably wouldn't have normally been available out there. Yeah, the, the thing that I would say about Seattle, yeah, it's going to be really hard to replicate Vegas' success. That's just... It's really tough to do when you're when you're getting uh, teams cast offs, even if you see some of them as having upside like a William Carlson. But 
I was talking to Seattle's assistant GM, Rick Olchek, the other day, and, and he had talked about the challenge of scouting and how much that's going to impact Seattle, not just at the amateur level, but at the pro level. They've got to draft an entire roster, and it's been really hard for them to scout. So that's been a challenge for Seattle. And I think one of the other things that will be different this time around, and I can't sp- speak specifically to the NHL rules on how that draft will take place. I, sh- I wish I knew more. I don't. I know the approach of general managers will be different going into this because they created a monster in Vegas uh, on their own doing. I mean, they they made trades and traded draft picks to Vegas to protect players that maybe they shouldn't have protected. Um, they gave up more than I think they would have liked because they thought they could. And what you've done now is you've created a team that has came out of the gates, you know, with a gang of fire and they're still there because they had the draft pick. So I think, I think you'll see general managers much more cautious. You can only protect so many players. That's just the rule. So there's going to be good players available. I just don't think you'll see general managers trading draft picks and players to Seattle to protect more players. You know, it'd be a funny story to write, and I may do this this summer or right before the expansion draft, ranking the uh, the blame of each team in, in Vegas's success. So who's oh. most to blame, who's least to blame? Wow. would be Florida. at the bottom of that list because they gave up Timu Pulkinen. Yeah, <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. who wasn't Florida. even on the roster at the time. I don't understand that. But <laughs> Yeah, how does that work out? Florida and Minnesota did this to everybody, and yet and the Coyotes – yeah, in Columbus. But Columbus was kind of stuck. You could see that one coming a little bit. But yet the Coyotes and some of these other teams in the division have had to pay for it the last few years. Florida's not paying for it at all, except they lost a couple of really good players. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think, I think Seattle's going to come out and they're going to have a good hockey team. It's going to be good players. They're going to have a good team. Do I anticipate the success Vegas had? No, I, I, I don't. I, I be. Maybe a playoff team, but I think they're a, they're a team that's going to be at that, that, that playoff line. I don't think they're going to run away with the division and, and compete for the Stanley Cup. But again, like Craig said, you know, they're, they're out there scouting and maybe they've got a few uh, rabbits up their hat. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, Joseph writes in, what is Taylor Hall really worth and why did he not go to the Avalanche last year? <laughs> Craig's just telling us to be quiet. I don't know. I'm just, I'm thinking about it. Cause I mean, you just, wow. What he's done in Buffalo or more like what he hasn't done in Buffalo. Just yeah. Taylor Hall's another player with an exceptional toolbox of skills, elite high end, uh, his puck skills, his shot is world-class his speed. He was an MVP in this league. So those things are all true, but at some point you have to go, how many teams has he been on and what kind of success have those teams had and go, what's there? What's, what are we missing from the outside looking at Taylor Hall? You know, if you have an MVP two, three seasons removed, he's still one of your top players. You find ways to hold on to them. Um, I'm not sure the value. And we go back to personalities. They're a real thing. You know, when you work around people at your job that maybe you don't see eye to eye with, it makes it tougher to go to work. Mm-hmm. Is that the case with him? I, I you know, I don't know. I, I know Taylor Hall's a good person. I liked Taylor Hall. We'd sit and talk hockey. He's a very, very bright hockey guy that wants to learn and yeah, he, he's on top of the hockey. He's like, he knows the game. He's a good person. And I've heard that from people in the past. Well, he's not a good person. Absolutely untrue. Absolutely true. He's a he's a nice kid. Um, do the puzzle pieces always fit together? 
they don't. You know, and so for him, I, he's another player that I think he has to have the right surrounding cast. And it wasn't here yeah. in Arizona. He didn't have the right cast around him. Did you find that he had a tendency to freelance when things were breaking down or weren't, you know, when, when he, he, did he, did he try to do too much sometimes? But he, and we talked about that with Galchenyuk. Um, Taylor Hall thought when he played, he can make a difference by himself every time he was on the ice. And you know what? Teams are defend too well. They're too strong, too fast. You can't do it by yourself. Even Connor McDavid needs teammates. Um, you are absolutely correct when there were times that he felt he had to do it by himself mm-hmm. and he would carry the puck through three or four opponents because he felt he had to. It wasn't, he was really trying to help. He was trying to do the right thing because he thought he could do the right thing and help the team. And he was frustrated when that didn't happen. Um, you know, the season he had in, in Jersey when he was when won the MVP, those things went well for him. And he was able to do those things, beat guys wide with speed, get to the net by himself and score. It didn't translate here in Arizona. I, I think he was a guy that tried to do it all by himself on a nightly basis because when he looked around the locker room, it's guys he didn't know, he hadn't heard of. You know, it wasn't the star studded rosters that you see around the league at that time. And, and I think it, it cost him a job here. He's, he's never really played on those star studded teams. I mean, he gets drafted to Edmonton when, obviously when they were on their run of first round picks, he goes to New Jersey and he, he, you know, he made them better. Yeah, right. I, I did. I really, I liked him here. It was just such a short time, but I will never understand why he decided to go to Buffalo voluntarily. I mean, he, whatever his value is, it's lower than when he went to Buffalo. And that, that was, that's his choice. Yeah. And you know what? We don't know the discussions with his agent and the management or the coach and, and what promises are made or what, what story is told to that player? You don't know, and and if they paint a picture that you're our guy, your top line, you're 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 going to be the key to our power play, everything's going to be in your basket. That's pretty attractive to a player like Taylor Hall. Where he goes to Colorado, that's not the case. You know, the, he he's not the guy. And I think Taylor Hall's got a little bit of that in him, where he likes to be the guy. And um, I, I think even in Buffalo with Eichel, okay. Yeah, I can, I can do this. Colorado? Gosh, I don't know. Like, is he on the top line in Colorado? Yeah, that's the thing. He probably wouldn't have been, right? You, you, you play in second line minutes with Kadri and. Yeah. And is that, and at some point when you recognize that that's where your career is, maybe you can take another step or go a different direction in your career, but until you're ready for that, yeah. I, I don't know. And then again, we're speaking for someone in their thought process. We have no idea. Maybe you wanted to get back to the East Coast. Travel's easier. Um, you know, it's it's a different game there. You're, you're, you're an hour and you're in your own bed more often. I, I don't know. You know I maybe still, those things played into it. I still wonder what would have happened here if, uh, you know, we hadn't seen all the changes that we saw in management, whether he might have ended up back here because they were they were talking contract with him. Yeah, you know, ownership you, was talking contract with it's him. It's interesting how things work out. I, I don't know. And, and in hindsight, would you make that deal again um, for Taylor Hall with the draft picks? I, no, I, I don't know. You I'd know, like to have a first round pick. Yeah, See, I, I, I understand what you're saying, Craig, and I know 99.9 percent of people would say no. I wouldn't make that deal. I, I still like. He has to. Yeah, in hindsight, I understood it. I still like the mentality of, of going for it finally. I mean, they were in a great spot when they made that move. You know, we've talked about this before, but within a couple of days, Darcy Kemper gets hurt and everything 
everything yeah. changes and they still made the playoffs. I mean, I, I still like the mentality of, of making that move and, and, and going for it because we really haven't seen a lot of the teams in town do that uh, until the last couple of years. Now, all of a sudden, all the teams in town are doing yeah, it. Yeah, when you, you see that, and I, I remember the, the day um, Assistant General Manager Steve Sullivan came into the coaches room and said, we got Taylor Hall. And we, I, I am not kidding, I thought it was a joke. Like, so did I. Like, we heard there were rumors, but you're like, no, we didn't. We didn't do that. That's not something Arizona does. Mm-hmm. That's something, you know, that's the Coyotes don't do that. And you're like, no, no, it's real. And he went and put the name up on the, on the lineup board. And you're going, this is real. Like, and you, you do get excited. We're in first place. You're like, you, you got supportive management, you got supportive ownership. They're giving you tools. You get excited. So you're right. Hindsight. Would we like to have draft picks? Absolutely. At the time in first place, these playoff windows and, Chances to win are so small. When you have an opportunity, it would, you know, it was exciting that they went for it. Yeah. What happens if Darcy Kemper doesn't get hurt there? I mean, I'm, right. I remember the excitement surrounding it because he, he played his first game in San Jose, and I actually wasn't going to take that trip. And then, you know, my, my editor at The Athletic said, yeah, we need to do that. So he flew me up. I chronicled his entire day from the time he departed, arrived in San Jose, everything that he did. There was so much excitement. There was tons of national media that came for Taylor Hall's debut with the Coyotes in San Jose, which tells you how big a deal it was. It was really cool. Unfortunately, they came home the next day. They played the Minnesota Wild, and Darcy Kemper was out for two months. And Craig, am I right? In that first game, he gets the game-winning assist to all of Reckon. Yeah, yeah, it was a wow. great play, too. Great play. Yeah, it was. And then, and then you said, oh, my gosh, that's why we got him. He can make a difference. And then the next got, night. Beat outside, forecheck, got the puck, and, and centered it to OEL, who – and if you remember what OEL said, I think I shot it four feet wide, but it, it hit a player and went in. Yeah. but that, And then you come home and you have a tough night against Minnesota in a game that Kemper wasn't even supposed to play. Rantha was scheduled to start, hmm. and he got hurt. Kemper wasn't going to play. He played. He gave up a, several goals. And and the rest of the season changed. Yeah. Um. I'll, also, I'll never forget what was it, a couple couple of days earlier when the Coyotes played New Jersey, and Taylor Hall is just sitting in the press box next mm. to us, and he's watching the team he's on play the team he's probably going to, and it's just like I, I it, that was such a surreal moment. He's like he's on his phone trying to figure out what team he's playing for the next day. It was it was so strange. I wrote about that if you remember, and I felt I was on the phone with someone all the way down the press box talking yeah. to someone, and Taylor Hall came down, and I can hear him talking to Darren Ferris, his agent. Oh yeah, no, t- saying a lot of things. By the way, one thing that I did write in that story at the time, he goes as he's watching the Coyote, he, go, he goes, "I just don't know if this team can score enough." <laughs> <laughs> he did not. He did he absolutely did say that on the phone conversation? So. Uh. I didn't write that at the time because I didn't want to out him too much. But, well, yeah, it's been a problem around here for a while, Taylor. Uh, Okay, here's we'll wrap up. There's a lot more questions. I'm sorry we're not going to get to all of them, but we'll wrap up with these last. Let's do three more. Um, Mike, keep, trade, or cut? Peeps, Cadbury cream eggs, or Robin eggs? (laughs) I didn't even see that question before. I think you got to cut peeps, right? Me too. Peeps out. My yeah, daughter loves out. them, though. My daughter loves them. She got some drink that was peep flavored, which I oh. thought was the most. Yeah, I saw it. Peep flavored Pepsi. Is that a thing? Can that be a thing? So, I'm going to go with the Cadbury. Right? I'm keeping the Cadbury because yep. I am all about the creamy caramel. Now, Craig, is that going to get me in trouble? <laughs> no. Okay. 
So just checking. I don't know the food rules yet. I'm sorry. Do I have to go back and listen to all the episodes, all 200, so I know w- w- what I need to, how I need to dress my hot dog? I just uh, we always asking. we always encourage everybody that that uh, is on the show, yes, to listen to the previous 270 plus episodes. Good but here, grief. here's another here's another food question. So uh, so so get ready. Um, nonlinear donut ball delivery. Which Coyote player would be most likely to replicate the swagger of uh, Eric Carlson's apple eating during a post-game presser? <laughs> and then second question for Coach Peters, are small spherical pastries correctly called donut holes, donut, holes, donut balls, or Timbits? And then finally, what's your preferred coffee order for Craig to pick up for you? Well, answer the last two, PD. Go. Yeah, I, I, the, I'm, I'm a Minnesota kid, so it was donut balls my whole life. But yes, it was donut balls. Yes. But I have to say, I, there is nothing better than a Timbit. And when when a player stops in Canada on the road trip and bigs a, brings a box of Timbits to the trainer's room where the guys are sharpening skates, there is nothing better in the morning. And coffee's easy. I've been getting up at four in the morning for twenty years. It's black. Black and hot. Black coffee. Okay. Wow. That's so you're a you're a hard. Yeah. No sugar. No cream. No flavors. Black. You like Timbits better than Duncan Munchkins? Yeah, I'm gonna go Timbits. Yeah. And I, maybe it's just a it's maybe it's psychological. It's a Canadian thing. I don't know. Yeah, I just like that you called them donut balls because that is the correct answer. So, PD, you're in. And uh, with the, also, with the press conference question. My my money's on Christian Fisher. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <I was> <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I don't even know how to answer that one. I do. We're not going to do it today, Craig. We'll save it like a teaser. Thin or thick. We'll save that, the crust. We'll save that for another episode. Oh, yeah, that'll get heated. I'm sure you've done that. I'm sure you've been there. We've talked about this. Yeah, of course I'm you have. I'm a New York-style pizza fan, so I I'm not going to trash that, but I'm a Chicago guy, so. Hmm. We'll say this. We'll get into that. You know what? response? I know we, that we're on timeline here, but I'm going to – one thing, in the, in the old NHL, you were allowed to eat pizza. It was a thing. When the game was over – Players had pizza before they got to the bus. I don't know if people know that. There were pizzas in the locker room every night for players to eat. That was a thing. That is no longer the case. There are healthier options. It's better food, better focus on nutrition and fitness. But at the end of the day, there was pizza every single night on the road. And we, as a staff, would grade the pizzas. And you would go... To the thickness of the crust. How buttery was the crust? What was the cheese like? How big were the pepperoni slices cut? Were they under the cheese or over the cheese? So we had, like, it was a, I was to the point where I would have, I had my own pizza cutter on the road in my travel trunk. So I could cut the piece of the pizza to the appropriate size. You said all of this, Craig. The reason I told the story is because the number one place for pizza on the road in my 23 years was Chicago. And I wish I could tell you the name of the place, but it was square cut, thin crust with extra cheese, and it was phenomenal. It would be one of the highlights of the trip to Chicago. One of the many highlights, by the way, to a trip to Chicago. Definitely. But amazing pizza in Chicago. Mm. Which Craig, how- may explain why I have that collage of PD eating pizza from Great <laughs> See, and it, that, that's, that is exactly what it was. And I, I, I know we, I'm, one more thing, Craig, look closely at those pictures and you will see in most of them, I am wearing a rubber glove, like the medical rubber gloves to eat my pizza. And I took a lot of grief for that. But keep in mind, I'm wearing a suit. With a tie, my job is to have my hands on my keyboard. That's what I do for a living. 
So if I'm eating a piece of pizza and I need to quickly get to work, right. I don't have time to go to the bathroom and wash my hands. I rip off the glove and I'm right back grease-free on my keyboard. So no grease ever on the keyboard? Never. So Buffalo wings. job of that that you gloves. keeping popcorn out of the coach's room. Yes. A story for another day. See, this is the insight that only Petey can bring, how to properly eat pizza on the yeah. road while being a video coach for an NHL People think team. you're kidding. That is an absolute wings and pizza, always with a rubber glove. You don't have time to wash it, and you can't have a greasy keyboard. We'll, uh, we'll wrap up on this, Craig. How happy are you that when we get back in the studio now, you only have to pick up straight black coffee for Petey instead of the unicorn frappuccinos you used to have to pick up for Jamie? Uh, this is, this is going to save me so much money over the course of the podcast. <laughs> And, and I need gas station coffee. It's great. I don't need fancy $4 coffee. Gas station. I don't care. No, 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 no. I need the fancy coffee, Craig. You're going to have to go somewhere <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for us. For Steve Peters, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.